Welcome to the Daily Face-Off Show. Your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis. Here's your host, Frank Saravalli. Not all about them Monday, Tuesday vibes. I'm about the weekend vibe. What's going on, Bryce Salvador? It's a Monday edition of the Daily Face-Off Show. Today is November 22nd. It's a short week. It's Thanksgiving week here in the U.S. Bryce, how you doing? Not too bad. It's great to have you back. I missed you last week. Uh, Jason Gregory, you know, replaced my number one centerman for a week. It's always good. But other than that, now I'm just getting ready to stuff myself up for Thanksgiving. I'm actually going to be on the Macy Day float for the NHL with uh, oh, Anson yeah. Carter. So we're going to be doing some stuff there. So I'm excited about that. I didn't know that, and I don't need a holiday to stuff myself, but let's stuff ourselves <laughs> on some hockey talk. Let's whip around the NHL, put two minutes and 30 seconds on the clock, and let's dive in with the New York Islanders. They open up their new home, UBS Arena at Belmont Park this weekend, two games over two days. And Bryce, I was in the camp of, hey, no matter what happens with the Islanders, you can't begin to count them out this season until they play a home game. They've played two. I know it's now November 22nd. They've only got two home games under their belt, but they lost both. What is your level of concern for the New York Islanders who are dragging up the rear in the Metropolitan Division? I'm very concerned. I think, Frank, I got to put these guys on a scale of seven to eight take that panic button away from the Colorado Avalanche, who I've been, was also equally concerned about last couple of weeks. It's just because not only did they not get a couple of wins, they've had some injuries. Now we have Ryan Pollock out of lineup. Brock Nelson only played seven minutes last night. And then on top of that, they had guys on the COVID protocol, uh, Anders Lee. So you just really see a lot of negativity, unfortunately, and distractions going around this team. They all thought that, well, we all did, because I had this team you know, pick to finish first in the Metro division. And right now there's lots of concerns. And you know, when we talk about a guy like Brock Nelson being injured as well, like this guy has nine goals and he's been the heartbeat. He's, he's scoring a goal rate at 0 0.60 goals per game, which is double his career. His shooting percentage 22%. Yes, a little bit high, but nobody else on that team is producing. You've got $10 million, Frank, tied up in uh, Pajot and Paul Mary, and combined, they've only got two goals. You got Paul Mary, he's got three more years at five million, and you got Pajot, four more years at five million. So if these guys don't start scoring and you have Brock Nelson come back down to earth, I'm a little really concerned about what's gonna happen with this team because on top of that, with Ryan Pollock out of the lineup, you had Chara and you have Green when he gets back in from the COVID protocol, these guys are playing you know, north of 18, 19 minutes a game at their age, it, that's just too tough for me to really have that be sustainable. So as we look at some of the graphics here and some of their stats, you know, the goals for bottom of the league and then their goals against, you know, mid pack, but that goal differential of negative 15, it just screams, you know, something is wrong because this is uncharacteristic for this Islanders team to be given up that many goals and then their power play down at the bottom. So this, they, we already know they have a problem scoring goals. But then when you lose Brock Nelson to bring that back up and the power play isn't, isn't clicking, uh, Frank, I'm really concerned for this team. Yeah, I'm with you. It, it's not just the goals for, which is certainly alarming. It's the dash 15 on the goal differential that uh, has them in the running for the green jacket, not something that the Barry Trotz teams, you know, you're usually talking about them in that race. 
Let's talk about uh, blue lines around the league. There have been some defensemen, Bryce, that have captured your attention uh, for guys that are off to surging starts this year. For people that have been watching around the league, who's really capturing your attention in terms of guys that are off to better offensive starts this year than they're used to? Well, these five guys right here, starting off with Oliver Shillington, like what he's done for this team has been remarkable because everyone thought that with them losing captain Mark Giordano, that they were going to fall apart in the back end. But his 0.67 points per game was higher than both of both seasons, prior seasons for Mark Giordano. So I like what he's done there. And then Kevin Shattenkirk, and then we can tie in Cam Fuller here. These guys have really helped the back end come back to life for the Anaheim Ducks. And this is part of the reason why Anaheim is having such a start. And you look at what these guys have done, plus 65% in point production per game for Kevin Shattenkirk and then Cam, Cam Fowler the same. And I just hope that these guys can continually, you know, bring this offense to this back end, because if not, it's really tough for uh, Anaheim to continue on. And then we look at Alex, you know, uh, Goligoski, like, what about a change of scenery for him to go from Arizona to, uh, to Minnesota? And then you're just seeing a tremendous surge. This is the best rate since his Dallas days when he was only uh, producing at 0.57. Um, but look, he's, he bet on himself. He's 36. He took a one-year, $5 million deal, and it's been paying off for himself and the Wild. And then lastly, Eric Carlson. It's just kind of nice to see him show some forms of a former you know, uh, Norris form that he has. He's not up there where he was, you know, 0.96 points per game when he was back in 2011 and 12. But, uh, you know, right now he's scoring at the second highest career for him. And so um, it's just nice to see him have some success, but he's in year three of eight on that $92 million deal. So um, it's still going to be a tough one for the San Jose Sharks to survive. Yeah, it's really interesting for me. I don't think enough people have been talking about Eric Carlson. I know he missed a bunch of games due to the COVID protocol, but just how he reverted to form so quickly this season, a huge positive sign for the Sharks who are dealing with um, a particularly tough situation in contracts on their blue line uh, with Vlasic and Burns as well. You were wondering how those guys were going to age. I think the interesting thing for me when you look at Shillington also is the fact that he's just playing right around 17 minutes a game. So all that production for a guy that still isn't getting major, major minutes. What about the flip side of that coin? Guys that are used to producing at a high rate, but have fallen off a bit this year. We're going to call them the sinking defensemen that you've had your eye on. One guy for me that really stands out and probably not all that much of a shock given how well he played last year and produced, but just has the lack of support around him is Jacob Chikrin in the desert, uh, 18 goals last year. Any guy, anytime a defenseman scores 18 goals in 56 games is going to end up on my Norris Trophy list, which he did in the five spot last year. But to see his play drop off, or maybe not his play, but his production, uh, certainly has raised some eyebrows. It sure has. And look, he's got no support. But the fact that he did score 18 goals last year, he's only 23 you know, you can maybe give him a little bit of a, a pass this season. We know the turmoil that's going on in Arizona, but, you know, his 18 goals last year was number one in the league. So, I, you know, he's young. He's still got uh, three years left on his contract. So I think Arizona will be fine with him. But you're starting to see 
you know, between Jeff Petrie and Thomas Schwab, like these two guys with their production dropping as much as it has is really hope hurt both those teams. You know, you look at Jeff Petrie, you know, 10, he was averaging 10 goals the last four seasons. Right now, he doesn't have a goal, two points in 20 games. That is just, you know, devastating for the Montreal Canadiens. And, you know, you're coming off a, a Stanley Cup run and, and, you know, for him to not be able to produce after signing the big contract, $25 million, 6.5, you know, cap hit each year, they need him to produce. And, and, Equally the same with Thomas Shabbat. We're looking at a guy that had 14 goals three seasons ago. And, you know, he signed a big deal. He's only in year two of eight. And that's $64 million contract. So, you know, he definitely needs to produce. He doesn't have a, have a goal yet. Of, of all these guys, probably my least concerning guy, even though he's fallen off, is Tyson Berry. Just because Darnell Nurse and Evan Bouchard have really stepped up. They brought in... Uh, veteran defenseman Duncan Keith as well. So even though Tyson Berry's fallen off, you know, Edmonton should be fine. Yeah, and a uh, contract year as well for John Klingberg. Our Steve Greeley had an interesting breakdown of Klingberg's situation and where he stands with the negotiator on dailyfaceoff.com. So you can check that out. And another point to be made on Barry as well. I just find, you know, with that offense, at some point, they're going to need other people to step up that you know, with people going through, you know, unavoidable cold spells at a certain point during a long season. And I'd imagine when one of those guys falls off, you can have a Tyson Barry slide in and get back to that production that he would normally be at. Let's talk a little bit about the Calgary Flames. You want to talk about defense. Well, the way that they've played team structure-wise under Daryl Sutter has him in the running for the Jack Adams through the first month and change of the season. You look at the Calgary Flames, seven shutouts already. Their goal differential is so impressive with what they've been able to do. We talked about Shillington on the offensive end. How about Andrew Mangiapane, the year that he's had? If you would have listed him as guys with more goals than Alex Ovechkin this year, I probably would have needed to run through about 500 or 600 guys in the league before guessing Andrew Mangiapane. But what's impressed you, Bryce, about the year that the Flames have had to start? Well, it's just the fact that they've done this on the road. You know, 9-2-2 two two on the road. And you talk about Mangiapane, 14 of his 15 goals are all on the road. Yes, he's shooting at like over 30%, so that will come down. But you got Goudreau, you got Lindholm, you got Kachuk. All these guys are contributing. And just the way that they've been all, you know, fitting in here, that's why their power play is third best and their penalty kills third best this is on the road and look at their team save percentage as well and they've had 12 games where they've scored first consecutively in a row and then you look we i talked about shillington just in the past but then you also got to talk about rasmus anderson what he's done as well i know he hasn't scored a goal yet but just he's helped stabilize that back end and you know it's just daryl sutter can't get enough credit how he's come in and really just gave this team confidence and said you know what we could play with anybody doesn't matter if we're on the road. Well, on the road right now, we'll see how things, you know, come around when they get back home at the Saddle Dome. But you just got to like the way he's even adjusted. I've heard the way he's talking to the team, the way he's managing it. He's kind of evolved from this, you know, just always hard, hard, hard to, hey, how are the guys feeling? Maybe they need a day off. And But, but he still does a great job of keeping that intensity there. And, you know, it's just, this has been a pleasant surprise for me, Frank, to be quite honest.
Yeah, I mean, I think a, a lot of people were unsure really what to make of this Calgary team. You know, what kind of buy-in would Daryl Sutter get? And when you see Johnny Gaudreau, a, a guy like him, who has played a real certain way throughout his career, step up and, and do the little things that Daryl Sutter has asked, I think that really shows you the kind of buy-in that he's gotten. And, you know, even if you have a stretch where Amanji Apani, for instance, as well as he shot the lights out 31%, uh, almost 32%, you know, at some point it's going to come down much in the same way that Holmes has, but the way that he's produced to this point uh, and the way that they played defense with Jacob Markstrom in net, five shutouts. You know, we talked about last week, the NHL expansion era record for shutouts in a season is 15. Um, you know, that could certainly be uh, under threat at some point later in this season if the Flames keep chugging along the way that they have. They've been on fire. Let's talk a little bit about the Seattle Kraken, an edition, another edition of the All 32. Let's welcome in Ryan Clark. Pleased to welcome to the Daily Faceoff show, The Athletics, Ryan S. Clark, friend of the show, uh, not only a Seattle Kraken beat reporter, but also a national writer for The Athletic. Ryan, how you doing? Good, good. How are you two gentlemen doing this well? I guess for you, afternoon, for me, morning. Yeah, <laughs> we are all good here, but wanted to dive in and, and ask you really, I was out in Seattle and got to hang out with you a bit to start the year and, and see that fantastic building open, Climate Pledge Arena. The Kraken are 5, 12, and 1 to this point, and I'm curious what the mood in the market is like. We, you know, kind of looking at the Kraken from a holistic perspective around the league, we've been here before. We see that this is much more in line with a typical start to an expansion franchise, but is it still all sunshine and rainbows in Seattle? It's been interesting. Well, not being funny, it's never sunshine and rainbows because we're in the rainy season, Frank. Come on. But to be serious... <laughs> It's been interesting because there's been the people who wondered, okay, wasn't this going to be Vegas 2.0? But it goes back to something Philip Grubauer said the other day, which was this wasn't going to be Vegas 2.0. No one knew exactly what it was going to be, but to be that, I mean, do you think about all the expansion teams that have come through, not only the National Hockey League, but professional sports in North America in general, expansion teams usually don't do what the Golden Knights did. But at the same time, there's been a bit of a learning curve in the sense of people getting to know the system, the structure, and kind of how to operate. And so when you look at the six-game losing streak that they were on, which of course ended last night with a 5-2 win over the Washington Capitals, one of the things that players talked about was they were getting away from their structure, being this aggressive forechecking team that once they went down, whether it be by a goal or two, they were trying to chase the game in a way that went away from that system. But last night they stuck with that, got the quick start. And so right now people don't really know what to think because as you all know, the closer you get to Thanksgiving and depending on where you're at in the standings, it gives you an idea of what your season's going to be. So as for what this team is going to be, it seems like that's still a little bit of a mystery. Well, I want to play right off of that, Ryan, as we just kind of really get to this, you know, quarter way of the, of the season, we don't know what this team is. So, you know, when we look at, you know, general manager, Ron Francis, is he going to have to really start to maybe assess what he does with a couple of his UFAs? Uh, you got Mark Giordano, his name's starting to circulate around as potentially, would he be traded? He's on his you know one-year deal here. He's a UFA. Would they do that? Would they trade their captain? You got Marcus Johansson as another UFA coming up here. So I'd really be interested to hear your perspective on what would this team do? Would they just stay the course? 
it's really hard to say at this point, just because again, in the grand scheme of it, it's November. There's still a lot of time, but like you said, we're at that quarter point of the season to where you start to get an idea of what you are and had a conversation with a front office executive about this within the last week. And one of the points that got made is let's say the Kraken are a team that becomes a seller. You look at what the market brought last year, especially for guys on expiring contracts who could do some things. And if you're the Kraken, you also have cap space. So there's a chance for you to leverage those things to get what you need, you know, for the future. But again, it just all depends on what this team is going forward. And, and that's just it. It's like if it seems like there's a lot of uncertainty when discussing the Kraken, there's a reason why. Because, like, yes, a six-game losing streak clearly does not help their case, especially when you look at the standings. Because going into the weekend after losing to the Colorado Avalanche, they were a couple points, maybe if not a point above the Arizona Coyotes in terms of where they were in, in the standings, not just in the West but in the league as a whole. And so, yes, you get a win over Washington. But as for what happens Wednesday against Carolina and for the rest of – really the the month of November, that's where it's going to be intriguing. So again, it seems like maybe the next three weeks will tell us more about what this team could do and what it could be as the trade deadline gets closer. Ryan, I got to ask you about Philip Grubauer. A nice step in the right direction for him with the win over his former team, one of his former teams in Washington, but 882 save percentage. He's been playing a lot. Um, has there been any talk about potentially, you know, is he going to try and play his way through this? Or is this something where you say, you know what, we're going to let someone else carry the ball here for a week or 10 days to see if you can find your game? Because clearly he hasn't been up to the level that he's shown previously in his start in Seattle. Well, when you look at the fact that the team started Chris Drieger on, on Friday against the Colorado Avalanche, the thought was, okay, maybe this could be the turnaround. But then when you look at the performance he had, it led to Dave Haxtell using Philip Grubauer to finish the rest of that game. Of course, you turn around to Sunday, and Grubauer performs like the goaltender the Kraken have needed. You know, there was one play in particular where Connor McMichael was speeding in on a breakaway, and those have been the sort of chances that have been a problem over this six-game losing streak. And Philip Grubauer gets the save that not only is, is big in that moment, but it was big for them going forward. So as for what the plan is going to be with the Kraken, Haxtell talked about this a little bit in the sense of they want to look at things like how players are performing, the schedule, and all these other items to determine what that rotation is going to look like. And when you reach the point of the year where they're at, where you're starting to see more back-to-back, which they're going to have once Thanksgiving ends with a back-to-back against the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Florida Panthers, maybe that's where you start to see a rotation. But one thing is clear, if you look at last night, especially the third period, where they stopped 21 of 22 shots against the surging Capitals, if you're them, you look at that as maybe it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, certainly looking to see if that's a building block for the Kraken. Uh, they're just looking for a few of them to string together to get back in the hunt in the Pacific. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate having you alongside and uh, looking forward to talking to you again soon. This has been another edition of the All 32. It's time for our Daily Faceoff show inbox question of the day. Hit us up on Twitter, hashtag AskDFO, and that's actually where we found our inbox question of the day. Bryce, if the Hawks improve their five-on-five play, can they make the playoffs? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I'm going to say yes here, Frank, just because you're starting to see 
a change of mentality. Everyone's starting to rally around Mark Andre Fleury, who's been fabulous. He's been perfect since the coaching change with a 4-0-0. I believe his goals against average is like something like one point, I don't know, two something. It's something ridiculous. So I think for it always starts with the goaltender. And then once you have that stability, you're seeing Seth Jones. He seems to be settling down as well. Then it becomes contagious. So I, I like what I'm seeing. I know it's been a small sample set, but I really do think that they keep stringing some games here that they're at least going to be very competitive come through March and April. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt they've been way more competitive under Derek King and, and you know, no surprise to anyone. They buttoned up defensively and, and all of a sudden Marc-Andre Fleury plays a lot better as well. For me, it's just a lot of ground to make up. They need something like 81 points over their last 64 games. That's like a point and a quarter per game per outing. I'm not seeing it. I don't know that they have the horses or the depth to do it. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury could make it interesting, but I know that that central is going to be one tough nut to crack in terms of finding your way into that top five. So I'm going to say no on my end, but uh, certainly been a big improvement under Derek King. Let's get to our daily face-off best bets of the day. Tyler Uremchuk, you did not have any plays on Friday. A little longer-term look, longer-view look at yeah. the division and Stanley Cup odds. Are you getting back in the game tonight? We are getting back in the game, Frank. It's a busy night in the NHL, and there are actually three bets I like on this slate. So let's jump right into it, courtesy of our friends over at Points Bet, starting in Buffalo, where the Columbus Blue Jackets are rolling into town. And this line already shifting a little bit, actually, and making the payout better on Columbus. So I'm all over this one. They're minus 121 on the money line, and that is where I'm going. Columbus, you know, mixed results as of late, but they've outshot their opponents in three of their last four. I actually think they're playing some pretty good hockey. A lot of their losses are to good teams and only by one goal. Buffalo, on the other hand, just two wins in their last 10. They've been outshot in three of their last four as well. And I like the goaltending matchup here as well. So I'm going with Columbus on the money line at minus 121 as my first play. And up next, we are going to the Colorado-Ottawa matchup where the Avs, I mean, they've been rolling 7-2-1 in their last 10. The Senators are the exact opposite of that. 2-7-1 in their last 10. The Avalanche, not only are they winning, but they're also covering the spread and covering that puck line in a lot of their recent games as well. Four in a row, I believe. So Avalanche on the puck line at minus 131 is my second bet of the night. And to wrap things up, the late game tonight, Carolina taking on the San Jose Sharks. It's the best team in hockey, the Hurricanes, continuing their road trip. And I'm surprised that they're not bigger favorites in this game. Honestly, minus 160 on the money line is really good value. But you know what? When I look at this Sharks team, they've lost four of their last five. And they've lost them all by at least two goals as well. Carolina's won four of their last five. They haven't been covering the puck line a lot. But I actually like them to do it here tonight. So I'm going to take the Hurricanes at a really big plus money spot. Plus 160 to win this game by at least two goals. You know, it's a little bit riskier than usually I get with these picks. But I think Carolina has a chance to, to really run away with this hockey game. So I'm going to get bold with my third play and take the Canes <laughs> on the puck line. Go bold. I love it. Uh, live and die by the empty netter. That is the better's way. Tyler, thanks so much. That is your daily face-off best bets of the day. And let's get a little garbage time going. Uh, Bryce, Alex Ovechkin's trophy case is full, but you're thinking that he could be in the running for yet another award? I sure do, Frank. And maybe after he listens to this, he may uh, go out there and become uh, a fighter and, and maybe stack up his pims a bit. But when you look at what he's done this year, you're seeing an Ovi 2.0. He's when you look at the goals per game, it's his second best in his career. 
the assist that he's producing is number one the points per game number one like this Ovi's rejuvenate himself he's reinventing himself and then if you look at his pims per game at point one one is the lowest in his 17 careers and where that stacks up in the lady bing conversation versus previous lady bing winners you know we'll pull up this graphic here and you're going to see look at the rates here and, and more in particular nathan mckinnon alex barkoff you're looking at carlson and goudreau he this one this point one one uh pims per game uh rate fits right in there so i think he might be adding uh, a piece of hardware uh to to go on his cupboards and i don't know if he's going to want this one so we'll see how Ovi uh, finishes the rest of the season if he becomes a little bit more aggressive maybe drops the gloves and uh, maybe he'll take a couple of boarding calls because I, I i don't know if he wants this trophy yeah, I'm not sold on Alex Ovechkin for Lady Bing just yet. I, I happen to remember him sticking a guy in the jimmies last year. Uh, <laughs> and I, I mean, that is certainly not any sort of Lady Bing type character. I wanted to throw this at you. Alex Ovechkin scoring in his first game against the Seattle Kraken, Bryce, last night. That is one goal, at least against all 32 teams. The amazing part about this is 17 times he played a team for the first time and scored in that game. So my question for you oh. quickly, Bryce, how many teams do you think you scored against in the NHL? Ooh, well, 24 goals. So it definitely wasn't all the teams. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a, I would say the, the number may surprise you. Bryce Salvador, you scored against 15. Team of the 30 NHL teams. Yeah. Well, I bet you a lot of those games are on the road. I like to really, I really played well on the road. So, um, wow, that's that's surprising. 15. I would not yeah. have guessed that. That's that's not not bad at all. Well, well hey, Bryce, like I said, I like to spread them out. Yeah, yeah, not bad at all. So, Bryce, uh, that is all the time that we have for today's show. Thank you to everyone who joined in. Uh, including our Ask DFO question, uh, Ryan S. Clark on the Seattle Kraken, Bryce, you as well, our technical producer, Alex Allard, and our producer, Tyler Remchuk. This has been the Daily Faceoff Show. Uh, we'll be right back here tomorrow, 12 noon Eastern, streaming live on Twitter, YouTube, and of course at dailyfaceoff.com, where you can get all the latest news, insight, and analysis from the, around the National Hockey League. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for watching the Daily Face Off Show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode.